You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Bible for Normal People. Today, our topic is Jesus, Justice, and the Mission Field. And our guest is Jamie Wright. Yeah, Jamie just came out with a book, The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever. And that's riffing off of her blog by the same name. And yeah, Jamie, I really appreciate Jamie. I know a lot of other people who do because she's just really honest and forthright and you know has, has experienced some things and is very free in talking about them. But she's not bitter. She there's a disillusionment and there is even an anger, which I think is justified, but there's not a sense of bitterness. In fact, she has just a real love for the Bible and for the Christian faith and for Jesus, and it's just really refreshing to see somebody who's processed some stuff and then come out the other side and has a lot of wisdom that she's gained too about the mission field and what's maybe wrong with it. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good conversation in terms of just a breath of fresh air to kind of cut through. Let's talk about what we're talking about. Let's be real and honest here about what it is that, the, what missions is about, what it isn't about, the Bible, and, and all sorts of other things. So let's get into this conversation with Jamie Wright and talk about Jesus, justice, and the mission field. Like, I've never had a faith crisis. I've had a church crisis. And my whole deconstruction process in which this evangelical facade sort of crumbled around me has been church-oriented. I've never been let down by God, but I've been tremendously let down by the church. And the things that the evangelical church claims and the things that they do and say all over the world just don't add up with the teaching of Jesus so often. And all you have to do to figure that out is open the Bible. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and She said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. You know, we have never on our podcast talked about missions in the 50 Summit episodes we've done. And we've heard that you were a missionary and a pretty bad one. Yeah, the worst, actually. The actual worst. Tell us, in fact, I think the very worst missionary. (laughs) That has been said, yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, by you, I think. And Mm -hmm. also by, apparently from your book, by some lady. But Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just tell us about your, you know, generally speaking, what was it that made this mission experience what it was for you? And, you know, then maybe talk about what could be done about it. Um, I'll just, spoiler alert, I don't know what can be done about it entirely, but... I went overseas with high hopes as a missionary, thinking like God was going to use me. All the things that we say in the church about missions, you know, like how God's going to use you, and and if you just show up, then leave the rest to God, and you can plant seeds, and you can do all these amazing things if you just like raise your hand and volunteer and show up in another country as a missionary. 
So I sold everything and dragged my family, including my three sons, to Costa Rica, uh, where we stayed for five years. And I earned my title as the reigning, like the very worst missionary. And, you know, it's it was kind of a two-part thing because I really did feel like the very worst missionary when I was there. I was an absolute mess. I was super depressed and I had anxiety and I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to like put on pants and go outside. I didn't want to talk to my neighbors. I didn't want to speak Spanish. I didn't want to be nice to the grocery store clerks. I just wanted to stay home and and suffer (laughs) by myself. And so I already had this like personal struggle of just feeling like, oh, what am I doing here? This is such a waste and I am the worst. I'm so bad at this. And then I started communicating openly about some of these struggles. And when that happened, then the good Christians came in and they were like, oh, you're the worst missionary because I was kind of deconstructing the image that we see of traditional like Christian missions. Because I just, I was looking around and I was just like, this is a mess. Like, this is a joke. It's, there's so much wrong with the way that we do Christian missions. But when I started to say that out loud, like on a blog, uh, it made a lot of Christians really mad. And they were just like, oh how dare you? You are the very worst missionary. So I ended up sort of claiming the title and, you know, calling my blog the very worst missionary. But it was really kind of that two-part idea of like, I did feel like I was the worst missionary and I really wasn't doing a good job as far as the expectations that we would have of a missionary. But it certainly wasn't for the same reasons that the evangelical, like, goodies were coming in and like wagging their finger in my face because they were just mad that I like, I say fuck a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the um, expectations, I guess, of the people out there for what missionaries should do. And, right. And maybe you had your own expectations about what you should feel like? Um, I thought I should feel productive. <laughs> like I thought I should want to participate in life abroad and, you know, be in community and I don't know, something. But mostly I was just kind of like miserable and lonely and I just wanted to kind of stay in bed all day. So (laughs) not really like good missionary work. So maybe just finish that out in terms of a little bit more of your story and how you stayed the the full five years and then came back. and, And that's how that all started with the blog and everything. Yeah. So when I got into the mission field, it took me about five minutes to see that it was a mess. The first experience that I had as a missionary was language school. So I was in this language school with like a hundred other brand new, like wannabe fresh baby missionaries. And looking around this room of all these people that were like, like me, had just raised their hands and raised support to live overseas and go to other countries without even, mind you, without even speaking the language yet. It was such a weird experience because I walked in this room and I'm looking around and I'm meeting all these people. And I was just thinking like, there are so many weirdos here, like so many, like statistically too many weirdos in one room and, and assholes, like just arrogant, like self-righteous, mostly like ex-pastors that, that were now missionaries. And so was I, like we all kind of at some point and in some way had this experience where we thought, oh, I'm called to do this work. And I just thought if we're all called to this, then what is the standard? What units of measurement are we using to figure out, you know, like whether or not someone should be a missionary, whether or not their mission is sound and whether or not their work has like their results are good. And so over five years that we lived in Costa Rica, what I found was that there are no standards. There's nothing. It's just volunteer and go where you want and do what you want and the church will pay. And it was so alarming to me, but, you know, five years is a long time to kind of witness something 
And I am sort of an analytical person by nature. And so just like sitting back and watching as this all unfolded in a country in Costa Rica, which is like primo vacation spot. Like, so it's, of course, it is like packed with missionaries. I had this great vantage point because I was just like, oh, there's like 300,000 missionaries in this teeny tiny country. There was just no end to the, the things that I witnessed and the kind of like stupidity that I saw in both long and short-term missions. And so before we returned to the States, I started this blog and really started to kind of unpack some of my ideas about the things that we were doing and, and how much money we were wasting on projects and travel and all of these things. And the lies that we were telling, like that the church tells about missions, that, that all you have to do is show up, that God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called, that planting seeds is a, a worthy or wh- whatever, is a thing that happens. I mean, all of these like little catchphrases that the church uses in order to justify sending thousands and thousands of people all over the world, it was just, it's just wrong. It's wrong. And so I started writing about that and ended up finally just feeling like I couldn't be complicit any longer. I couldn't call myself a missionary anymore. Like I just couldn't do it. And so we had to return to the U.S. And that's when I kind of decided to write a book and, and just sort of, I don't know, put some kind of flesh out that story of, of, I guess, deconstruction is what you'd call it. But yeah. So people were being sent there, obviously really ill-prepared. Oh, completely. I mean, literally stood in a room on my you know, first day of language school with 100 people that didn't speak Spanish who were all going to Spanish-speaking countries to change lives. I mean, that's absurd. But it sounds like there was no plan. You know, there's just like no plan, at least in your experience. And I'm wondering, I mean, from your having lived through that, why do they do that to you? <laughs> you know, wh- why do they have these little sayings? And, and what, I, like, I don't get it. What's behind that? Why even set up a system that doesn't work? Because it serves the church really, really well. It serves like this cheap-ass version of Christianity that is really evangelicalism, it serves people. They don't actually have to do anything. They don't have to invest beyond maybe writing a check. They don't have to sacrifice anything. They don't have to risk anything. And they get to feel like they are changing lives and, and saving people. I mean, it just, it is, it's all payoff with no actual work. <laughs> so, I mean, it, and I don't think I don't think people are intentionally doing this either. Like I, everyone that goes into missions, I think the majority are really well intentioned and genuinely want to help, want to do something amazing with their lives, want to serve God. But but God, we we say these things and and it just becomes so ridiculous because there doesn't have to be a plan. You can literally like anyone can raise their hand and say, "Oh, I'm going to go live in another country and and then raise support and." Christians will like throw money at them because it feels good. And like, that's it. I want to maybe try to bring the the Bible into this a little bit here, but also is it the, the way, I guess what I'm trying to ask is the way missions was done seemed to be done really poorly, or is it the endeavor of missions kind of at its root for you? Kind of where do you, do you see it as, well, the whole enterprise seems to be broken 
or not rooted in, in something that seems really good? Or is it just the way that, that you experienced it? Well, I think it's both. I mean, I think that missions is a billion dollar, $50 billion industry. It's an industry. And so for people to not take that into account, $50 billion annually. Jared, we need to call ourselves the podcast missionaries. <laughs> right? Yeah, we've been doing this we've, wrong. We've been doing this all wrong. Jamie, yeah. we'll talk later. Anyway, go ahead. Right. I'll help you set up a budget, <laughs> give you all the language. Like, it's just, and that, that is exactly it. You could. You could do that. And I guarantee you could find people to help fund it. And that's the problem is that, so the problem with missions is that we take these little phrases, we use all of this nebulous bullshit language that doesn't mean anything, and then we pretend like we're doing things. (laughs) So it's everything. It's like the execution is poor. There's a heart issue in that we're really self-absorbed and self-centered, and we just go, oh, well, this... I mean, we're comfortable saying things like, oh, I know it helped me more than, it ha- than I helped them, or I learned more by going and seeing poor people than I could teach them. It, it, that is inherently selfish. And so, it's just such a mess. And then we use the Bible to justify it by, by saying, oh, the Bible just says, go. It, you can go to any airport on the planet right now and find somebody wearing a t-shirt that says, go, because the Bible says, go. That is not good theology. <laughs> like... That's not a reason to get on a plane. Well, I mean, it sounds like, Jamie, that one of the deeper motivations then is, in some sense, trying to be obedient to how you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it says go, then all you have to do is go somehow, and you're making God happy with you. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. God said to go do something specific, which was... I, I, I don't remember the verse, like basically t- preach the gospel in all nations and ba- baptize, you know, everybody that you can baptize. Okay. But that's not what missions is. Missions is this garbage term for whatever you want. Like the word missions doesn't mean anything. And how the reason I know this is because the second that I became a missionary, people would say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a missionary. And their next question would be like, oh, that's so cool. What do you do? Every time. Because it literally means Nothing means it has zero value as a word. And so for us to call like humanitarian aid and church building and, you know, anything like construction, whatever, community development, if we call all of it missions and we have no standards for who we send or how we send them, then we're really like, it's really hard to say, oh, this has value. And then you apply a verse that says, go do this very specific thing that I am saying and we say, it just means go, go anywhere and go do anything, then I think that's just a really bad way to use the Bible. Is that is that also, it sounds like too, a lack of transparency, mm-hmm. where it would be more, it would be more honest or forthright to say, you know, what are you going to do rather than missions as this blanket statement yep. that doesn't have a lot of teeth to mm-hmm. it. Like talk about it as humanitarian aid mm-hmm. or talk about it as we're going to build a thing or we're going to Absolutely. lay this thing. Say what you are going to do so that the people can decide if you're the right person to do it. And if you're not, then guess what? You don't get to go. Are there Christians in Costa Rica? <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to tell because there was only a Catholic church in literally every town. And there's only yeah, no. there's only a bumper sticker of Jesus in a crown of thorns on every bus, every taxi, every car in the country. I guess that raises the question, who needs you? Right. Or me. You know, it's it just sort of this white Western Northern Hemisphere imperialism mm-hmm. thing sort of comes through there, too. Like, we, we do it right. We have to deliver it to them. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I would probably go crazy too pretty quickly. Right? We're like still colonizing. Yeah. We're like going, but it's just the church. <laughs> like America is not colonizing. The church is colonizing. We're going to these other nations and deciding like, no, 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 no. This is how you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy. It's absolutely absurd. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you're in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you, for service, and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Well, okay, so you, you went with the intention to serve, and then, you know, I read your book, and it was wonderful, and, you know, there, you had your own process, spiritual struggles, and, and doubts, and deconstruction, re renovation, and stuff like that. So talk to us a little bit about how the Bible became your enemy, your friend, your... You want nothing to do with it? I mean, how does the Bible figure into all this stuff for you? I mean, that's a big question, but just go at it the way you want to. No, I love it, actually. I think um, I, I I love the Bible. I love it, and I've never stopped loving it. And and the truth is that the further I've, you know, kind of dived, dived in. It is now. Go it ahead, is. Jamie. Go for it. Dove, <laughs> the further I've dove in. Even better. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah, perfect. The more I love it, 
Because really, like, if you're willing to examine these texts that and, and learn, you know, all of the context and all of as much as you can, as much as we can about how it was written, who it was written to, what the roots of the words are. I mean, all of this, like, whatever, hermeneutical or I don't know what you call it, but context is that usually what I find is that it's so much richer, so much more affirming, so much more inclusive, so much more justice oriented than I thought it was last year or the year before, or, you know. And so I just, for me, the, the having the Bible and being able to look at it and go, oh, no, no, you know what God wants? God wants justice and mercy and humility from us. You know what God wants? Not these big, giant suburban churches on every corner, but intimacy and community and service to widows and orphans. Like, there's there's never been a moment in my life that I've turned to the Bible and been like, oh, shit, this doesn't add up. The, the only thing that doesn't add up to me is the evangelical church and the Bible. <laughs> Say more about that. What do you mean? Well, I just, like, I've never had a faith crisis. I, I've had a church crisis. And my whole kind of deconstruction process in which this evangelical facade sort of crumbled around me has been church-oriented, not Christ-oriented, not God-oriented, not, like, I've just, I've never been let down by God, but I've been tremendously let down by the church. And the things that the, that the evangelical church claims and, and the things that they do and say and, you know, all over the world just don't add up with the teaching of Jesus so often. And, and all you have to do to figure that out is open the Bible. Yeah. It's amazing how the Bible, when you pay attention to it, it doesn't really align with how it's sometimes prepackaged. Right. You know. Right. Now, one thing, too, just, just what you were saying before, Jim, is very interesting. You didn't have a faith crisis, you had a church crisis. I think that's really important for people to hear, because I and talk with a lot of people and have talked with a lot of people in my life who, because they've had a church crisis, it moved into a faith crisis, mm-hmm. because when your community sort of falls apart, it's hard to stay Christian. Right. You know, so I think that... It, I think maybe people might be encouraged to hear that part of your story a little bit, you know, because it's not, mm-hmm. that's not the way it usually works. Right. I know people who, you know, the, the community turned their back on them for whatever reason, and, you know, a year later they're atheists. And I say, like, well, why would that be? Don't you think about it? But it's about the community, so. And it's so painful. It is so painful. Yeah. And I, and I don't blame them. I don't blame people that are like, that come to this crossroads and have to, have to choose to walk away from it all. Right, because it is all so closely interwoven, and you have this big evangelical church claiming to be Christ, Christ-related, you know, claiming this God as their own, which is just such bullshit. And so, you know, when people kind of experience that that pain of going like, "Oh, this is garbage!" Like, what are we doing? And feel the rejection of the church. It makes perfect sense to me that many people just choose not to participate in the church or a life of following Jesus because they think it's completely connected. But it's not. It's not. Well, not for, it hasn't been for me. So, you know, for me, the further I get away from evangelicalism, the more I fall in love with Jesus and the more I just see how these texts are so important and how the teaching of Jesus is so difficult and radical and life-changing and world-changing. Like, if we were really pursuing the things that Jesus is asking us to pursue, the world would look different. But it's hard. It's hard work. We're sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we want to take one minute to mention two simple ways to support the work we do with the Bible for Normal People. First, head to iTunes, rate us, give us a review. 
That really helps us out. Secondly, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people, where you'll find ways to jump into the community, join the discussions that are going on, and offer your support at various levels. Last but not least, we want to give our deepest thanks to some of the members of our producers group. These folks give us a lot of feedback through email, calls, and overall just help make the podcast what it is. So thanks to Chris Abbott, Joshua Quay, Gwen Stratton, David Black, Linda Davis, Alyssa McCarnas, Rachel Emery, Wayne Bartell, Julian Scott, Linda Irene, Phil Spawn, and Louis Schofield. We couldn't do what we do without you, so thanks so much. Now back to the podcast. So say more, kind of this church crisis, I'm, I'm interested in that story a little bit further. What, what's come out of that? Like, wh- who, who's your church now? Who's your community? Where have you found that space to be a person of faith mm-hmm. with? I, I get asked this a lot, and the truth is I'm still figuring it out. There is a little Episcopalian church here in my town that I, I really love. I don't go very often because I'm lazy. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it requires putting pants on like you said Exactly, It does. It totally does. Yeah. Like, they get so mad when I don't wear pants. But the longer that I've been in this kind of wilderness of not having a church home, what I've found is that I have far less community, but the community that I do have is so much richer and more nourishing to me, and we have you know, really dive into life together. There's just not this giant, like, pre-planned space where it's where you get to go make friends, which is, that's what church does for grown-ups. Like, it's so hard to make friends <laughs> and to kind of create community when, when what you've been conditioned to expect by the church is, like, this array of choices. I can just choose where to find my friends. Do I want to find them in the mom's group or in the bowling club or in the, at the women's retreat? Like it's so easy. The church makes it so easy to just kind of pick and choose your community. And so when you get out of it and you're in the wilderness and you're just like, I'm alone out here, it's like starving at first. So Jamie, you, you have a community then? I do. I do. I have. Yeah. I mean, it, it, tell us about that. Cause that's, I asked that because that's another thing that I just, I, try to help people with that, yeah. but I don't have much to go on myself because they say, I don't know where to go to hang out with people. Because right. for that very reason that you said, because church is like this ready-made place for friends until you don't show up for two months, they don't remember your name. Right. You know, but so that, that you, you forged something though, or maybe it just sort of happened. So, so tell us about that. Um, you know, I would say this, I escaped the church with a handful of other survivors <laughs> and they're my community. Like we just, these are people that kind of have walked through this process alongside me and we've just grown closer through that. And like I said, it's, it's much smaller. Like I don't have a, a I don't have a lot of friends, but I'm an introvert. So that's kind of, that works really, really well for me. I honestly can't do a lot of friends. So, um, well, friends often require pants as well. So it's real hard. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> not all of them, though. Not if you really. Well, you found the few, right? That's yeah, the ones you hold yeah. close. Yeah. And that's how I know. That's how I know they're my friends. <laughs> they're like pants or no pants. We're still in it with you. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, it just. So for me, it's a very small, select group of people that I trust with my life and with all of my crazy thoughts about church and God and Jesus and. And have been met with compassion and challenges, like they'll challenge me and we just, we just keep going. But 
as far as like church and doing the Sunday morning thing and, you know, singing like, I don't know, worship songs or hill song songs or whatever, uh, that just doesn't happen really for me very often. And when it does, it's it looks very like high church traditional in the Episcopalian church. It feels sacramental and beautiful. Not, not to swing us too far back to, to the mission stuff, but I, I was curious, you had mentioned at the beginning you, that you maybe don't know how to, how to reform this or how to solve this, but I'd be interested to coming back to some of your thoughts on like some options, some things that that you feel like really do need to be done as we as this industry is maybe been corrupted or just out of ignorance again, maybe it's not uh, on purpose for some for a lot of folks, but what can be done? do you think well honestly, first and foremost, like ditch the language, never use the word missions or missionary again, <laughs> like tell people what you actually do or require that if you know somebody's telling you they're a missionary, like ask them, like, what does that mean? Like, what, what do you do? Um, and why are you qualified? And how are you doing it? And is it working? <laughs> like, like, be real and um, ask real questions and expect real answers. And even define what working means. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does working mean? That is so true. <laughs> because in, and, and here's the thing about missions and all of the brokenness. It is a mess. Like missions is the a global clusterfuck. Yeah, we're getting we're getting that from you, definitely, yes. <laughs> but it's a symptom of the church. So what we really need to do to fix missions is end all this church bullshit. Like where we are where we are it's acceptable to just say these nonsensical things and then do whatever and and where we pat pastors on the back for doing things like taking their own kids out for ice cream on Friday afternoon like oh making disciples no you're not you're just taking your kids for ice cream everybody would like to do that but normal people have to work on Friday afternoon like there's just so many things like that that I think if we really if if people who go to church and people who are in that space really started to challenge and push back it would it would be it would be helpful for missions. It would be helpful for lots of things that are broken within the church. It's just like a layer of God talk over normal stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know to sort of yeah. almost justify and to make us feel better about what it is we say we think we're doing. Right. We also use the term often code words mm-hmm. because it's also a way to feel like you belong. Like if we're all using the same code words, we all feel like we're in, and that can be a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a club, and that is the. The American Evangelical Church is a club, and you're right. That is, it's just all part of that. It's like the lingo that gets you through the door. So, ditch, ditch the language is one thing. What are some? Do you have any other things? Other thoughts? Um, yeah, I think learn how learn what happens when you spend a dollar. Learn what happens to your money. Figure out who makes your clothes. Figure out, uh, you know, if you are supporting slave wages by buying three dollar tank tops or whatever, like understand learn how the world works learn politics if you have to like if you're a grown adult and you need to take like a government class or like a poli science or an economics class like do that because the things that we're doing don't make sense and if you know like this is how much money i make and this is the percentage of money that i give and this is when i give this is where it goes or this is when i spend this is where it goes like it's so powerful our money and our political clout are so powerful and instead we're like pretending like hopping on a plane and building a shack in Mexico is powerful and so to kind of help people understand that hey this is how the globe works and when you understand how it works it will change how you interact with it and when you change how you interact with it then you find 
more equality, you find more opportunities for other people, or you create more opportunities for other people, like it just, you'll live differently. And I think that should, I mean, really ultimately be the point of missions is that you're living differently and you are making the planet a better place. Well, it's a big theme there, Jamie, that ties with something you said before when we were talking about the Bible a little bit. It, it seems like justice is a big theme in your life and in your thinking about all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems like a rather obvious thing to say, but maybe just piggybacking on that for a couple of minutes. Are there, you, know, you love the Bible because it's always sort of surprising you and it's always deep and it's interesting and it's not that prepackaged nonsense. Are there... And this was an unfair question to ask. Are there parts of the Bible, like either books? I'm not asking for your favorite verse or something, but other kinds of themes or books or just things in the Bible that just make you say, this is worth paying attention to. This is worth my adult attention. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging me to change and be different. Um, totally. I think I think the Old Testament is packed with these beautiful pictures of the of what God wants His people to be doing in and around the world. You know, He's like saying over and over again throughout the Old Testament, where God's like, "I reject all of your fancy garbage. I don't want it. I want justice and I want mercy." And God keeps coming back to us through the prophets to say, "Like, hey, hey, guys, pay attention." I don't want this. I don't want palaces. I don't want gold. I don't want any of this. I don't want your broken sacrifices. I want justice and mercy. I want you to care for the people around you. I want you to love your neighbor. And then Christ comes and affirms all of that. And you're just like, oh, okay. So, I mean, I, I, I'm i trying to think of, I'm not, I'm so bad at like bible Bible passages and saying, oh, this is what it says, or this is where it's at. I am so bad. So and I read the Bible. Like, I love it. Yeah, that's good. This is the Bible for normal people. So it works out. Yeah. Seriously, right? Like, I just, I can never remember that. I could read it five seconds ago and just be like, where did, what did that say? Was that his ego? I don't know. <laughs> did Jesus say that or was it Satan? I can't remember who said that in the Bible. But. Yeah. I think Satan said it to Jesus who repeated it. I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, let me, just, this is interesting. Let me ask you another question because I keep getting these and I want you to answer them for me. Um, so what does it mean to be Christian? Mm. God, I, that's, a, that's a great question. That's a hard question. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're supposed to say. Right, you're supposed to, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I think that Christian, the term Christian has been co-opted by the church, by this big broken church, or by evangelicalism, and I am I will fight tooth and nail to keep it. Like I will never stop calling myself a Christian because ultimately I think a Christian is the person who follows the teaching of Jesus and, and hopefully understands what that means in the context of the Old Testament in which God is like, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. Like I'm I'm not gonna leave you. Like I, I, a Christian is a is a person who follows Jesus. Loves God and loves their neighbor. But, you know, I think for so many people, the term is just heavily laden with terrible baggage from the church. Are there any things in the Bible that irritate you? Irritate me? Um, There's got to be something. Yo, totally. Like the incest stuff and like all the You're too positive about the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's some, like all the incesty stuff is weird to me. And then there's so much like foreskin talk where I'm just like, stop it with the foreskins. We don't care. I don't want to know about a basket of foreskins. Like, You can't connect with that, huh? On a personal level. Right, yeah. I just, I'm like, this is not relatable, guys. Have you been able able to communicate this with your sons no because i know that they've had they, they probably had some challenges themselves and i don't know if they're sort of bitter or anything but um you know how's that working um none of my three sons are christians or followers of jesus 
they go back and forth between being like jokey, fun, like, like, you know, they understand that I'm a Christian and they love me for it kind of thing versus, or, or like the pendulum swings the other way and they're like, you're a monster. How dare you take us to Costa Rica? Like you ruined our lives. So, you know, pretty much normal day, right? I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. For most parents. Um, yeah. It, and they're all young adults. I mean, my kid, my Kids are 24, 20, and 18 now, so they're very much in that, like, pulling away, but, like, I love you, Mom, I love you, Mom, you know, but also, I hate you, I hate you, I never want to see you again. So, you know, it's not something we talk about a lot because there's just so much messiness there, but my kids, I think, were deeply wounded by the way that we whisked them off to Costa Rica, and and I can, at this point, I can only pray that God will redeem that somehow. Like, I can't fix it. And I don't blame them. Like, I do not blame them. We really did a number on these kids in the name of Jesus. And so. how, how old were you, or how old were they when, when you guys went to Costa Rica? They were 13, 9, and 7 when we left, and 18, 14, and 12 when we came back. It's so like pretty critical. Yeah, that is a critical time. Yeah, yeah for, super formative years. And, and I was a mess. I, you know, so to, to make these major moves and have a mom that is like struggling with depression, that's not cool, you know? And, and so I just, I don't blame them for their anger. I feel pretty bad about it, actually. You know, people feel called to do things. And one thing I learned in seminary, which helped me is that you can feel called all you want to, but other people have to confirm it. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't just sort of like, it's just me and God. Actually, it's not. It's you and God and the community. Mm-hmm. Of course, when the community isn't helping, if they're setting up the problem, that doesn't help either. Right. And in these giant churches that we love, or, you know, that are just everywhere, it, people have to know you to know if you're called. Like, your pastor sh- would have to know you to know if you're actually called to something. But we don't, that is not what we have. We don't have leadership that knows us. Yeah, I think you're called to shut up and never talk right. to anybody right now, right? It's like, you know, you're not really, this is not your right. thing. And, but in uh, mission. But how, you dare, how dare you get in the way between totally. me and God? Right? Like, if you say God called you, who's going to argue? Well, well, I will, actually. <laughs> but, um, but in missions, that is the, that is the big, like, dir- the dirty little secret is that no one, will, no one will tell you you're not called in missions. All you have to do is raise your hand and raise enough money, and then voila, you're called. And, and that's part of the problem. If you say you're called, then apparently you are. But as you said, that's just not, it's not biblical. It's not true. And if the people around you don't know you well enough to know whether or not you're called, then, you know, what do you do with that? Well, that's how cults get started. Right? I'm thinking about starting one. Good. Good for you. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, I want to send you money. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to set it up. Um, going back to that, I you're talking about cults. You made me lose my train of thought I'm here. Sorry, I had yeah, a really a, important, so my problem get an an important question. That's, that's part of my power as a cult leader. <laughs> <That's right>. Distraction. <laughs> Are you in my mind right now? Just get out. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, it's just distraction. So, Oh, that's what it was. So it, for people who are, say, in an evangelical church and who have felt uncomfortable about missions or maybe listen to this and, and wonder what they can do that maybe – you know, maybe not comfortable with some radical steps, but maybe some small practical things that might help their church start to think a little differently. Would you have any any advice for them on, on maybe some small things, some questions to ask or things to talk about that might help shift the conversation a little bit? I mean, I think just having a conversation would be a great start. 
you know, just sitting in a, in their whatever outreach or missions pastor's office and saying, Hey, what is our stance on this? And how do we do this? And where, how much money, what is, what does our missions budget look like? And how much, where does that money go? And what are we supporting and why I think would be great. I think encouraging people to ask, hold their missionaries accountable, you know, find out if they're doing the jobs that they say they're doing, find out if the jobs that they say they're doing need to be done, find out if if these are like worthy endeavors, because sadly, a lot of times they're not, and then be brave enough to pull your support if what you find out is not, not you know, positive or good. I mean, I think it really, it people just need to do more work. Like, I think people that want to help, there's so many people that want to help, they want to do good things, and, and giving, like giving financially to, to help people is an awesome thing, especially, I mean, if you have the, the, the means to do that, that's cool, but you need to do the work. Like you need to vet the organizations that you're supporting and, and do your best to figure out who they are and what they do and why and how. And, and then, you know, find the worthy, the worthy causes and give to those. Good advice, Jamie. Well, listen, we're coming to the end of our time and we're just wondering, I mean, we, we know you just finished a project, mm-hmm. some book. I did. And you can tell us yep. about that briefly. And if there's anything else that going on, maybe, if you've got some upcoming speaking gigs or any other projects you're thinking about starting, even if you haven't done so yet? Um, well, yeah, I did just just launched a book last month called The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever. And, and I love the subtitle. Yeah, that was, yeah. It, the sub- a memoir or whatever. It's pretty much it. Like, I was just like, oh, finally, a subtitle. I can, I'm not embarrassed to say out loud. <laughs> Like, I know that's you. Yeah, it totally. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that is totally you. Yeah. And people were like, "Oh, what's your book?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's like a memoir or whatever." <laughs> I say it all the time, so uh, it's perfect. Yeah. So that is out there, and I would be super honored and grateful if people ran out and bought it, uh, and then just don't read it, throw it away. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, honestly, my speaking calendar is like wide open. So if you are looking for some for a what, what the, the church words to describe me are like a sassy, straight talking, brash lady <laughs> or something like that. If you're looking for somebody um, to kind of, you know, <laughs> challenge you and hopefully make you laugh, then I've got lots of availability. <laughs> do, do you think you might do, I know you're blogging, do you think you might do some more writing, some more books or anything? Um, yeah, right now I am trying to figure out what the next book should look like. If it, I, I'm really kind of trying to decide between doing like the missions deep dive, you know, just kind of like going full bore into missions because this book that I just launched is a legit like memoir. And so I'm thinking about maybe just all missions or diving more into more memoirish into just kind of my church, my, just divorcing myself from evangelicalism and where I'm at now. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks. Had a great time, Jamie. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to another episode, and be sure to check out Jamie's book, The Very Worst Missionary, which is published by Convergent Books. And also, you know, she's very active online. She has a website, theveryworstmissionary.com, and she's active on Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of things. And uh, she's looking for speaking gigs, folks. Absolutely, definitely do that. So if you have some need for a great speaker, and, uh, you know, go for it. Excellent. And speaking of speaking gigs, not to be redundant, we will be having a live podcast at the Wild Goose Festival. So if you would like to attend and watch all the glory and all the magic of this podcast live, and in addition, for a bonus, Pete will be speaking that day as well on his own. 
Um, sometimes he doesn't he doesn't like to be outshined by me, so he, he just yeah. has to do some stuff on his own. I get it. I understand. It's time to uh, it'd be tough to be sitting next it's to me. It's time to take off the training wheels. That's right. I think. Yeah. So uh, Pete will be speaking Friday afternoon, July 13th, and then just after that we'll be doing a podcast there live on the podcast stage at the Wild Goose Fest. And if you'd like to go, go to their website, wildgoosefestival.org, and if you type in GooseCast18, you'll get a discount. From, from the folks at Wild Goose for listening here to the podcast. So go ahead and check that out, and we hope to see you there. Okay, folks, see ya.